from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I am Chip Lutz, your host, and today, today only, I get to do some more uh, live interviews here at the AATH conference. And what's cool is I get to talk to one of the coolest man of the cloth I know, Father Paul Moore. He he is the dude, man, because uh, he likes things I, I like them. You know, just kind of funny, a little bit body, and he does some really important work. So welcome, my friend, to LaughBox. Thanks, Chip, for having me. I appreciate it. Well, the pleasure's all mine. Now, we spent a lot of time together, hanging out sharing stories but for other people out there can you let them know a little bit about who paul moore the man the legend is well um i'm actually um a licensed counselor and marriage and family therapist in arkansas and i'm also licensed in kansas and texas as well and i've been practicing now for about eight years um uh, worked several years with uh, adolescents and youth with um, a lot of problematic behaviors and troubled youth with different psychiatric disorders, um, a lot of residential and day treatment programs with some outpatient. Now I just do primarily outpatient uh, with adults and couples. So. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Before we get like in the gist of our conversation, we'll just get like our conversational juices flowing a little bit. So, funniest movie you've ever watched? Big Lebowski. The, yeah, oh my God. I didn't know you were a Lebowski fan, uh, man. The Dude I Abides. The Dude Abides, yes. absolutely. You know, there's a church of dudism. Is there? There's a church of dudism, <laughs> and there's a philosophy of dudism. You can get ordained in the church of dudism. I didn't. Um, it's awesome. It is. It's, and um, I love how fast you said that. You didn't even have to think about no, it. No, I, uh, I, I actually try to watch that movie once a month. Just to, you know, keep yourself abreast of... You know, things. I also found out they had Lebowski festivals across the country. No way. Where people come dressed up as the dude, Walter, uh, Donnie, um, Maud. <laughs> really? Oh yes. my God. Like her character was crazy in yes, that. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> this aggression will not stand. I, what I appreciate about the movie is, of course, the Coen brothers are brilliant filmmakers and writers, but um, I liked how different the three primary characters were, but how loyal as friends they were to one another. Yeah, all really different, all really loyal. Yes. And even when they took Donnie out yeah. and were taking right. his ashes out. That's right. <laughs> spill him out and then blow back all yes. over the dude. That the travesty. The travesty. That's what, that's what the dude said to Walter. Was, this this what, is a travesty. Yeah. What was the kid's name that they uh, they thought stole the money out of the, the trunk? I'm trying to remember his name because I just remember when they went to his house. And his father was in the Iron Lung. Yeah, that yes. was awesome. Good stuff. So for listeners out there, if you've never seen The Big Lebowski, you absolutely have to watch it. Yes. You can't watch it just It's one of those movies you can't watch just once because there's a lot of little nuances in there you miss the first time. Yes. You really got to you know, take them in, enjoy them. And if you're sensitive to swear words, you need to brace yourself because they frequently swear in the film. But um, it's just part of the, abs- the brilliant absurdity. Right. I like that, the brilliant absurdity. So, you know, put your filters on or pause it through there. Put your muffs on. Yes. Your muffs. So you went on a trip last year, and I, you know, I heard a little bit about uh, what you were doing. Can you tell us a little bit about the, you know, the, 
the, the work that you were doing and where you went and how things how things went. Um, well, I went on a trip. I should say what got me started on this was um, I do some uh, work with uh, workers justice and some advocacy uh, for immigrants and undocumented, you know, mostly DACA, um, uh, who, you know, children from other countries who were brought here, primarily from Mexico or Central America, who were brought here as infants and children, um, had been basically raised here. And um, there were financial circumstances, partly um, due to some of the issues between um, the trade agreements between both countries that caused a lot of chaos in the United States for United States workers and Mexican workers and Central American workers. And so you saw a lot of uh, families basically fleeing from Mexico and Central America, also due to um, instability in, the, in a lot of the countries and violence for their own safety. So I've done a lot of advocacy for that. I've been involved in some things like that in my area as a therapist and a clergy. And um, I learned about um, this program that takes place once a year um, in El Salvador. Um, and it's, it's a liberation psychology immersion exchange program where you basically spend about seven or eight days in El Salvador. And um, liberation psychology is a, uh, a form of psychology that was basically developed by um, a Jesuit priest and social psychologist, uh, Father Martin Barrow, and he was skeptical of the impact that Western mental health models had in perpetuating and stigmatizing basically oppression um, and lack of access to resources in his own country, or in, in El Salvador, I should say. So. Um, there was a lot of poverty, a lot of illiteracy in the 70s and in the 80s, and a, a number of the clergy down in El Salvador came out and were speaking out against it. And five or six Jesuit priests were actually uh, executed by the Salvadoran military in the early 80s. Really? Uh, yes. Wow. Uh, Father Barrow being one of them. And Archbishop Romero was assassinated by um, a death squad. Um, just, just for sticking up, I mean, just yes. for standing up for yes. the, the mental health of the well, people there. for the people's rights to earn more than 50 cents a day right. for farm work, uh -huh. basically with land only owned by a handful of families. And, um, and of course, there were a lot of financial, uh, financial influence within the military and in the media. So uh, one of the Jesuit priests developed... Um, uh, an approach called liberation psychology, which just looks at the lens from the perspective of those who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so in just layman's terms, really simple, if someone is depressed or anxious and they don't have access to food, they don't have access to water, they don't have access to a living wage, and they're in dire poverty or disease or illness, a, a Western model of mental health would look and say, might say that you know they would label depression anxiety as a disease whereas uh, liberation psychology says wait a minute if you label the symptoms of all of those uh, stressors and all of those oppressive factors as a disease then you're you're failing to address those systemic uh, and contextual oppressor press oppressive 
factors that are perpetuating that. Mm -hmm. And so he developed a form of psychology that stemmed from the perspective of the sufferer and the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, that has applications, of course, in um, the, the work that many people do in this country when looking at poverty or looking at um, uh, the struggles that a lot of um, marginalized populations have or poor people um, in different parts of the country who don't have access to resources. I mean, you can look at even places like Detroit, um, the Appalachians, um, and other, other parts of the country here where you see people who have a hard time getting clean drinking water, have a hard time getting access to food and health care. Mm -hmm. And so liberation psychology would say, wait a minute, there's people who are um, suffering and having symptoms of all sorts of things from trauma, um, depression, anxiety, and you you look at it and say, well, wait a minute, what's going on in their world and in their environment that's bringing this about? And let's look at a way of it, uh, and it asks psychology and mental health to kind of come at it from that angle as well, include it in with the regular, uh, you know, assessments you might do, so. So, I mean, so, uh, and that's a great way thing to bring out, because, you know, you went on this trip, you did stuff down there, but this isn't something that's just relegated to that one area. I mean, it's really, I mean, there are people that, you know, are in bad areas all yes. over, even here in the United States, which we don't think about a lot, you know, because, right. you know, we don't see it, we might see it on the news a little bit, you know, here and there, but, you know, you may hear about the bad drinking water in Flint, but right. you don't, you, we don't, we don't hear about, you know, the other things people go through, because the media doesn't really put a lot of that out there, and, so. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it was born out of El Salvador, and then Central, the Central American experience, and the Salvadorian experiences. But um, it has application in a lot of uh, with a lot of populations, and I, I really appreciated its stress on poverty and economic injustice. Um, and so, when looking at uh, workers' justice and um, people in this country who are victims of wage theft, which a lot of immigrants um, are vulnerable to, or to um, undocumented or vulnerable to wage theft. Um, uh, people who d whose primary language isn't English are vulnerable to wage theft, also mm -hmm. safety violations in the workplace, uh, and those those type of issues. Um, those persons are easily exploited or taken advantage of. So that's that's so it was a perfect uh, a perfect coming together uh, when I discovered this. Um, this conference uh, or week-long conference down in El Salvador that's, mm -hmm. that's uh, called Liberation Psychology Intercambio and it's uh, the directors are uh, Leticia Paleski, Jason Platt and program coordinator is Juan Carlos Garcia Rivera and the assistant program coordinator is Christian Chacon uh, Gallardo and they they I'm sure he appreciates the way you just murdered his name. <laughs> well, I, I want to apologize for that. Um, well, let me tell you, they they really took they take you down there, and they take you to every, or they take you to various uh, villages and locations uh -huh. where you can meet persons who are survivors of the uh, civil war uh -huh. from the uh, late seventies or early eighties, and you learn about the history, you learn about the martyrs and the priests, the nuns, social workers who were uh, killed. And tortured, and you learn about Archbishop Romero, who Pope Francis just declared is eligible for to be a saint. Um, you, you go to these places, and you hear their stories, and you see um, the the physical uh, re, um, 
remnants of those stories and you you hear the testimonies of people that's gonna be powerful it was it was it was really powerful and you and 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 it, it's it's all in one of the premises of liberation ecology is that you liberate those who are oppressed but as a therapist or an educator or a researcher you yourself are liberated in the process by engaging those persons they actually have a role in improve in bettering you mm-hmm. as a practitioner or an, or an educator or a researcher so did you do any like one-on-one time with people down there as far as the therapist i mean helping them get through different things or was it just more of an educational thing for you it, it was more of an educational thing for me where i learned from them just from experiencing um people in the communities they lived in um there was an uh, an opportunity to present um, give a presentation at the Evangelical University of El Salvador um, where I was able to take my interest in liberation psychology and also uh, humor therapy right. and blend those two. Oh, really? Yes, and the blending of that involved, you know, when we talk about liberation psychology is, is giving voice to those who are oppressed or marginalized, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there, there are people who are have a position of privilege and a position of, of power um, who may not be bl- blatantly uh, prejudiced or racist, but they might be ignorant or blind to the, some of the systemic or structural um, oppressive factors in the system. Right. And humor, I thought, would be a great way to bring to people's awareness um, who might not have seen it because of their position of privilege, um, the, how the system they've grown up in plays a role in oppressing others, even if they're not aware of it. And the clip I picked was the, uh, and then talked about, um, was the clip where Dave Chappelle, it's been years ago, but where Dave Chappelle makes a, a, a hysterical uh, talk about how every group of, of black guy should have at least two or three white friends Mm -hmm. and that's in case um, they have to talk to the police right which is highlighting um, the uh, often antagonistic relationship that police officers have with african-americans and that they often catch the you usually catch the 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 harsh end of of harsh treatment and whereas white people middle class and upper middle class might not even be aware that um, that type of thing can happen and so he was he would make these kind of funny vignettes of how um, his friend Chip could go up and talk to a police officer while he was um, you know speeding or racing down the road in his car while he was drunk and how the officer would basically just verbally chew him out and let him go but then you know Dave Chappelle would talk about the you know his experience with the ap- most African Americans in the audience understood that you know that's not how they experience law enforcement right uh, if, in even situations where there's not something uh, illegal happening or something like that so I, I use that clip as an example of not only humor because um, Dave Chappelle told it in such a clever way. Um, where humor can serve as a catharsis for people who are suffering or who are feeling oppression, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if you know if you do it right, it can also serve as a catalyst for bringing that uh, that systemic 
and cultural or systemic and structural prejudice or oppression or racism or discrimination to the, to the awareness of persons who are just blind to it because of you know the, their own um, their own position of privilege that they well, were their just own upbringing. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. people just don't. I mean, they don't really. I mean, I get that. It's like I live in my world, and sometimes I don't see things because I live in my world, and just because my name's Chip doesn't mean I get out of a speeding ticket. Yes. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> that was his name, Chip. I know. All <laughs> us chips, we get all thrown in there, lumped together. Yep. Um, but like I see things through a certain lens based on you know where I come from and it's not you know I, I'm sometimes blind to other things until somebody points it out to me yes and I think what's cool about what you did there was you know bring it out in a way where it's a really a little less threatening to people where if you were coming in and saying you guys are all jacked up here and here it, it's a much different dynamic than like you using humor which is a softer touch yes of people with the realization of like hey well you know maybe this is kind of like this and it's really not about them so much is about like oh it's the system humor you know you know maybe brought that out i mean did, were they receptive to that I, yeah the well i asked the students it was an undergraduate students i asked them to just um explain to me what what they thought the humor was doing mm -hmm. and the students were able to immediately of course they thought it was funny and they were immediately able to ex see how Dave Chappelle was ex was recognizing the difficult uh, and very often dangerous relationship that many African Americans have with with law enforcement in parts of the country mm -hmm. and then uh, how that's contrasted with the experience of most you know average middle class upper class white people mm -hmm. and they but they recognized immediately that the fact that Dave Chappelle was funny with it and he used humor that it, it was it was it was delivered in such a way that the audience you know whites or persons of privilege were able to hear it laugh and then maybe and then think about it oh yeah I hadn't really thought about that before and so and you saw this years ago, even with Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live when he did Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Oh my God, right? I remember that. I mean, yeah. and yeah. I don't, and, and and you know, even though it was funny, you, you were getting a picture of that most persons that were minority and living in the inner city, their experience of family life and their experience of of day to day living did not look like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Right. And that's not something they could relate to, and right. so. I, that was a funny way of pointing out that kind of uh, economic disparity and racial disparity. And uh, so they, they really appreciated uh, the students really picked up on it quickly. They got it and they, uh, they appreciated it. That's interesting. You bring that up. Cause I don't think it's anything we've ever talked about on the show before is thinking about how humor can help people realize things in a non-threatening way like that, you know, where they're, it, it brings out some of the incongruities in their own life of, oh, you know what, that really is, it's funny, but it's not funny in a threatening way. It's just uh, kind of a, a realization afterwards of, like you said, oh, well, yeah, it's like that. I didn't, you know, I never thought about it like that before. That is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I, it, it, the most difficult thing to recognize, I think, if you're just average middle class Caucasian is structural or systemic oppression or uh, racism mm -hmm. um, and economic as well I think economic um, oppression 
is very difficult for white middle class upper class people to see systemically mm -hmm. and and I think if you ask people who have good hearts and good intentions and say hey are are you I mean there's racist out there and there's people who are prejudiced but the the more difficult one is the people who aren't personally prejudiced but who kind of prefer uh, go with the flow within a system that kind of allows the structures to perpetuate it mm -hmm. and getting them to kind of step back in the way you, that Neo did I, you know, at the end of the Matrix where he saw the code for the first time when he looked up and he saw what was beneath the images and it was the code and I think that's where um, the humor part um, can help people because if you you know if someone thought you were calling someone a racist or prejudiced or that you didn't care about poor people there'd be a lot of people who say, well, of course I do. And then they say, well, but they're not seeing the systemic or structural uh, uh, problems. And humor can help bring some of that maybe to the surface right. in a way that, that is cathartic for the sufferer, but also enlightening and liberating for people who are um, in a position of privilege. Because ultimately, if, if they're made aware of oppressive structures in society that um, where people are alienated from, you know, food and water and living wages and, and racism, then everyone's everyone's better for it. That's some deep stuff, man. I had no idea you were so deep. Uh, it's, no, it, it's really everyone else is deep. I just happen to, <laughs> I just happen to stumble across everybody. So. I, just, I just read their stuff and we bring out there. That's that's awesome. So it's it's cool that you did that you went on that trip because like we were talking before in a personal real, uh, conversation we were having is that you know, what I really appreciate about you is your, your willingness to really get involved and do stuff and take action on things that you feel strongly about because it's something that uh, people get mad and they talk about stuff, but not everybody does something. So I think it's really cool that you actually, you know, get in the mix and, you know, do stuff. Well, um, I, I'm in a position where I, I don't have, aside from maybe some snickers or sneers or... Uh, some skepticism from some people. I don't have a lot to lose as far as being vocal or trying to participate or make things more aware or give my time or some resources to um, like in my own things I'm concerned about and, and where I live and on workers' justice and on, on immigrants and undocumented concerns. But but I think people who actually live in in marginalized communities or in countries um, those the, those people who actually go out and do stuff and who try to push that message and try to br raise awareness um, it's costlier for them and mm -hmm. it, and it um, there's a heavier price to pay if they run up against the uh, people who are who get feel threatened by that? Right. So in a way, you're kind of like Superman. No, and I'm saying in a way, I'm kind of. What I mean is that I'm, you know, it's I'm, like I'm kind of like other people like they might have something to lose, but Superman, you know, he can't. He's got no, I'm not, I don't. I, I mean, I don't have. Yeah, I'm not. I don't have much to lose, and, and I'm not in a position. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in uh, any danger, or um, it's just aside from making some people mad. So, right. uh, well, I guess that's cool. I will shift gears just a little bit because right. I mean, I think we were talking with. Uh, earlier about you know some of the work you do in your as a clinician yes and it's for you know and humor you know like we're, some of the stuff you're saying i mean it got a dark humor but it made me laugh so i mean what you, in that world 
you work, uh, maybe you can explain it better than I do. So explain like the work that you do in as a clinician. Um, I spent, uh, uh, let me think. I did four internships, uh, which is four semesters, two academic years. Um, and then I spent several years working as a therapist with um, adolescents and children with uh, sexual behavior problems, which is a pretty difficult population. And many of them have been victims themselves. Mm-hmm. And then I w- worked, uh, also did some work with some kids who were involved in drugs and gangs. And then I- in those years, you, 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 s- you see a lot of really sad stories of people whose lives have been really turned into, uh, um, I mean, you could almost say like hell on earth, and they're kind of caught up in uh, the system, oftentimes court-ordered, oftentimes in state custody, uh, foster care, and many of them have been doing things that that are really bad because things have been done to them that Mm -hmm. were really bad. And so humor has been really effective in uh, when dealing, especially with children and adolescents of, of any uh, population, humor has been helpful in kind of breaking that barrier. A lot of kids don't want to go to therapy. They don't want to talk. They don't want right. to listen because they're, they're angry. They're going, and I get it. You know, I wouldn't want to be forced to go see a therapist right. if I was 12 or 14 years old. So humor has been really helpful in building rapport, um, building camaraderie with clients and uh, helping them open up and letting them see you're not this kind of authority teacher figure, but it's more of a collaborative process where you're right. wanting to help them work through stuff. So it's been helpful from a clinician's perspective, and uh, but it is also as a practitioner, um, humor's been helpful and just uh, for my own self-care and other therapists I know that are here at the conference and that are back where I, I live and um, if we didn't have humor and laughter to uh, you know to get through some of that it'd be pretty pretty tough right so well, let's go back to like with uh, so when you're trying to connect you know with that kid that comes in I mean do you just like kid around with them or you got like a, a, a list of like these are the, <laughs> the therapy approved jokes I mean, what do you, what do you, what, what, what's your process? I mean, you just size them up, like, and you say something obscure, or you, like, show the Dave Chappelle clip. I mean, what do you do? Um, you'll, it, it depends on the kid. It depends on the problem, the presenting problem. So, you know, if someone came in with trauma, you really wouldn't, you wouldn't want to start cutting up with jokes. You wouldn't want to start cutting up with uh, laughing uh, if they've been a victim of something where they're really traumatized that, that would probably be inappropriate but some of the oppositional kids some of the ADHD kids and adolescents who are mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know they might come in and they'll start cussing you and they don't think they need to talk to you and, mm-hmm. and what's interesting is is some people think sarcasm is not good humor but um, some kids who have really been uh, oh what's how would I describe it some kids and adolescents and kids who've really been, uh, is it road weary? Yeah, all right. By that's life? Good. Yeah, they, absolutely. They're road weary with life at a young age and they don't really want to be talked to like they're little kids. And right. they, because they're, in some ways, they've been through more than a lot of adults. Right. And so if you talk to them like you're kind of pampering them, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it's going to piss them off. It just I, make, yes, I, I, I make, bet you it just pisses them off. Makes them angry. Yeah. They think, look, I'm not. So if you're a little sarcastic with them, yeah, um, or you have a, kind of a joking banter, uh-huh. um, and you're self-deprecating, right? Um, I found that that that's a lot of times has uh, really opened up. Uh, kids and adolescents and teenagers to a, a certain populations and certain presenting issues that, uh, you know, that's, that's opened them up to talking. Yeah, it's interesting to say that, because, you know, and obviously, like, I'm, what I'm going to share here is not the same type of population you deal with, like, but when I teach, you know, Sunday school, you know, high school or middle school students, I know that if I come from authoritative, you know, we're going to get through this stuff here, they don't have anything to do with it. But if I kid around with them and I mess with them a little bit and we've got a little rapport built that way, they're much more likely to, you know, one, you know, listen, but two, share things they normally wouldn't share. And it's just, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah. You know, and so like, especially with the boys, I mean, like both of my sons, they never, re- they responded mostly if I just like treat them like I was, you know, I was still in charge, but. I would miss them like when my older brothers messed with me all the time, right. you know, just like, you know, relentlessly. And then they've got that same kind of like wicked sense. And even with uh, my youngest son, he always had like a bunch of boys would come over that I called the gaggle of dumbasses, mm-hmm. you know, and I would always mess with them. And they just like had the, <laughs> I was like their, uh, I don't say their hero, but we had a, we had a good rapport with it. It's like, hey, Mr. Lutz, we, or they tried to call me Chip. I'm like, no, 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 you're trying to call me Mr. Lutz. And I would kid, you know, kid with them a little bit right, about it, and right. like, well, Mr. Lutz, what do you think about this? <laughs> and then so it would be, we had that. But it's kind of neat that you, you, you kind of speak their humor language in a way. Yes, yeah, um, and a lot of it is um, uh, not just in building rapport, but also um, I've I've been, you know, I've at certain in certain milieus or places, I've been kind of a prankster where I work. Mm-hmm. So I remember working with some. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't guess no. that from some of the stuff uh, I've seen. So <laughs> the, I worked with this one agency where I was working with the kids who were like fourteen to eighteen, court ordered, um, had come from some gang or drug backgrounds or rough backgrounds, and I mean, real just tough families. They come out tough communities, tough environments, and you know if you if you joked around with them. Um, let them listen to some music at first and just let them know you were hearing them and what was interesting to them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just you trying to impart, not, uh, you know, to educate them on what they need to do. Uh, they opened up and I would, I, I, one of the things I did with a couple of the kids is I took, you know, that magic powder you can sprinkle in a, in a glass when you pour water, magicians use it, and they pour water in it. And then you turn the cup upside down, and it, it, it gelatinizes the water. Really? Yeah. There's it's a magic powder. You can you can buy it online. I forget the names of it, but you know magicians do it. They'll they'll look. I'm pouring water in this pla- red plastic cup, mm-hmm. and then he'll wave his hand around. And when you tip the cup over, nothing comes out. You don't show them what's in there, but the water's gelatinized. Right. So, I took uh, one, this one place I worked. Um, the kids had really been behaving really well. I said, okay, we're going to play a prank on some of the other counselors. And and so we went and uh, sprinkled that powder in the toilets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where the, and so I brought them with me. I said, hey, this is going to be great. You're, we're going to love this, right? And so one of the, I think one of the milieu coordinators was just shaking his head because he knew he knew what we were doing. And, and uh, just so that when the other counselors wanted to, when, you know, when the other counselors, go in the bathroom or something they wouldn't realize it of course the water's gelatinized now it 
dissolves when you flush it. Water, okay. water dissolves it. So but like you don't. Probably, you would probably make the, <laughs> the building guys pissed. I was like, yeah. God, no, no. Dang it, Paul's been in here again. <laughs> no, no. It, do, it doesn't plug anything up, but you don't know what's happening. Right. You know, you go to the bathroom and everything's just sitting on top of this <laughs> ma- massive gel. It's the water in the toilets turned to. Uh, you know, good stuff. Oh, the the kids you work with are just laughing hysterically, and you go back to the office and. And, you know, you spend five, ten minutes doing that with them, and then when you go get them for a session, uh-huh. um, they'll, uh, you know, they look at you like you're a person. Right. As opposed to a robot or something who's just been there. That is interesting. Yeah. That, it's so funny. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing. As yeah, look, legit, Google it. Yeah, that uh, does that. And I can just imagine some, just imagine some of the people you work with probably have no sense of humor. And so, like, they would go in there, and they're usually, like, "What is what's going? What is what's going on here?" Yeah, it's usually it's usually it's usually the a, a, a HR or a clinic directors. <laughs> they're, they're, it's not they don't have any sense of humor. They're the ones that are the most nervous and anxious about anything that happens out of their control. Right. That's so funny. that raises their stress, their anxiety level a lot. So, but sure, oh, the kids love it. So. Oh, that, that I I would love it. That would be that would be so fun. Yeah. Let's, we can talk about that later. Where to order that from? And <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good story. With that. <laughs> yeah, let's shift it back to what you're saying on uh, it, it as clinicians, because you guys see some nasty stuff. See the underbelly of society. Have to deal with a lot of horrible things. How did uh, humor help you guys kind of deal with some of that stuff? Um, I, you know, when we do when we do staffings, um, I can't really tell. <laughs> We would just use humor and laughter to just manage what was sometimes. I mean, you know, we would always process stuff, and obviously in clinical staffings, wherever you work, most clinicians do, and they have a su- clinical supervisor they talk to. Um, and but at the same time, there's humor and laughter used to cope with the gravity right. and severity of a, of what you're dealing with it's not just clients or patients that are having problems but especially with adolescents and youth but but even adults sometimes the problems are so layered and deep and I don't just mean personally but like societally um, in the community that it's almost like you know the healthcare providers of all professions therapists doctors psychiatrists nurses Mm -hmm. It's like they're putting their finger in the holes in the dike, and it still just keeps springing. Right. And so sometimes it get, it feels like, okay, are we going to be able to hold this up much longer? And humor and laughter just help you. And sometimes it, it's kind of sarcastic. It can be kind of dark a little bit. But that's really kind of cathartic because, you know, as one therapist told me when, uh, when we were in a staffing making a joke about something, uh, she said uh, – if you don't laugh about it, you'll cry. Right. And so that's really true. And and you you know every I think any clinician or healthcare provider that's connected to their work uh, does both. They cry and laugh. So so doing a callback, it almost like it gelatinizes the water behind the uh, the dam there, so it doesn't get through. There you go. <laughs> I could I could try to I could use that metaphor. I could try that on the. I was I, trying. I was like I. Really, if ever get to use the word gelatinize, so Gelat- I, was trying, yeah. I was trying to throw it in there. I'll, I'll tell was... you. I'll tell you another one that clients love. Uh, the clients love the uh, fart and barf spray. Really? Yeah, liquid, liquid uh, ass mm-hmm. and liquid barf. I didn't know there was. Oh, there thing. is. Google it. So I hope 
you know, those guys hear that and appreciate APH for that. But yeah, yeah they absolutely. They, <laughs> for the listeners, I mean, you got great things to Google and pick up. I mean, I think we probably need to put, you know, get our own online store to sell these There's, things. You, <laughs> I, I found it on YouTube and uh, I bought some of it and I was letting some of my uh, therapist friends and you know some teenagers like, man, let's look at this and it's really funny. I think I'm going to pick up some of that stuff just to use at home for fun. You know, it's driving my wife absolutely crazy. That'll be good. Well, it helps bring the family together. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Good. Oh, I've had a good time. I always have a good time talking to you. I mean, yeah. you're a Likewise. great guy, and you, you have, you're doing so much great work out there. If uh, people want to get connected with you outside of here, I mean, do you, are you on LinkedIn, anything for people to connect with you, or... Um, well, I've got, I mean, I, I practice out of Arkansas, so I don't really. No, they don't to, have the, even have the internet there, do they? You know, it's just up and running. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just up and running, but only between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. <laughs> so, no, no. I mean, uh, there's a there's a large retailer in the area. They're going to make sure that the internet stays up in Arkansas. So, um, no, so I'm, you know, I have a counseling practice, client-focused uh um, counseling and uh, clientfocus.org and um, that's just my counseling practice and I see I also see clients out of a, another clinic um, but they can reach me at that um, and I do some work at Northwest Arkansas Workers Justice Center um, out of Springdale Arkansas if you google that you'll see that they've uh, they do a lot of work defending um, and, and standing for the rights of uh, low-income persons um, their safety, that their wages aren't being stolen. Those are some big problems with uh, vulnerable populations in this country. Employers stealing, uh, not paying them for work that they are due, and uh, safety violations. You can read about that on their website. So, um, All right. cool beans. Now, so I always like to end with something a little bit uh, more upbeat and funny. So, you got a favorite joke? Anything you like to you know do to make people laugh? Um, I'm trying to think. This isn't. Uh, what I've done with like kids that just sit there and they don't want to talk in therapy um, that are really obstinate or mad that they have to be there they're just you know their court either made them go their court or their DHS or their um, oh their uh, JPO or something and you're really just trying to get them to buy into therapy and mm -hmm. they don't want to talk to you and you don't want to just be another uh, authoritarian voice that tries to, you know, emotionally coerce them. Um, I'll just have him, uh, I'll just ask him, I'll say, hey, put your hand on your head, scratch your head, and I'll do it with them. I'll scratch my head, and they scratch yours, and I'll just say, repeat after me, my butt itches. <laughs> and it, take, it takes the kids or the teenagers about two seconds to realize what they just said. Right. And once that, you know, usually when that happens, they're, they're, they're smiling, so... There you go. Like applicable, you know, any population. Yep. You know, I don't know if I'll do it with my wife, but I might. I, hey, you, can, you can trick her. I can trick her. Well, thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate you spending the time. I know people listening are going to get a lot from uh, our conversation today. Thanks. Well, thanks, Chip, for having me. The pleasure is mine. This is Laughbox, <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review Laughbox on iTunes. 
For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.